Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we review that film, we discuss some of the ideas and themes that throws up. And always we end with our recommendations for what else we've been watching. Um, so we always end with our recommendations for what else we'd recommend watching following this movie, whether we liked it or not. As you remember from last week, we are currently a man down, so we have a ringer stepping into the fray. Uh, we've got Chris McKinnon from the Space Jam Continuum. Hello! Or Dr. Sam Knowles, as he likes to be called on this show. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I do like to be called that on and off the podcast, actually, if you could take note of that, yes. Rob. I'll, I'll, I'll let all your friends know. And Sam, you're going to have to <laughs> you know, shake your bit up because... I'm 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 Doctor Sam Knowles. I get both of you on. You can just have two Sams. Yeah, that there's a whole new podcast. We're actually planning to, you know, just, just squeeze you out really over over time. In fairness, that would really that would really lighten my workload. Yeah, okay Sam, Sam was getting sick of your. I could tell from my study of him that Sam was getting sick of your sort of contrarian opinions, and uh, he he'd really just like another him to to <laughs> just, just agree with really that. vindicate. <laughs> You know, everything you say. His terrible views on Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. I, I haven't heard his views on Mad Max Fury Road. I might. I, he does not like Mad Max Fury Road. I am not Dr. Sam Knowles. <laughs> Was that a line too far? That is, that is too far. Maybe my studies weren't thorough enough, or maybe I have a selective <laughs> memory. We all, we all blanked out. <laughs> so, guys, we always start the show with what else we've been watching, other things we've kind of caught up to in the last week or so. So, Chris, do you have anything you want to talk about that you've seen in the last week? I have been watching, similar to last week, uh, you may realise through this that I watch a lot of cartoons, uh, but I've been watching an absurd cartoon called Cupcake and Dino, uh, which is about two brothers, one of whom is a cupcake, one of whom is a dinosaur, uh, and they operate a general services company in that very competitive industry. And uh, it's just completely absurd, but uh, quite delightful in every <laughs> in every facet. It's like it's quite, it's quite heartwarming and nice. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, a lot of things just aren't really explained. It, you just have to accept them. Uh, but I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, it, it's very good. Um, just sort of. Yeah, you, you, you never really know what you're going to get. And and I like that about it. I do enjoy having you on the show because you bring up the recommendations of shows I've never even heard of. Oh yeah, I generally with Sam, I've heard of them, but I've not seen them. I've never even heard of the show. I operate in some deep Netflix. I've also because I'm Doctor Sam Knowles uh, for the purposes of the show. Uh, uh, and you said he he often talks about books. I thought I'd better up my game in that department. I've been reading a book called Factfulness, uh, which is by Hans Rosling. Uh, and it's uh, generally about our uh, instinctive human uh, reaction to what we see as the facts about the world and how we extrapolate uh, statistics and how we're doing it entirely wrong and uh, nothing's nearly as hellish as it seems. And it's been it's been very nice. <laughs> That's quite a good book, yes. It's, uh, but it, yeah, it, you know, it's not super heavy on stats, just in sort of... Like, it, it's all about... Uh, every chapter is basically about just st taking a step back when you have your initial reaction to something you hear in the news or whatever and uh, thinking about the context and the bigger picture and mm. how you might be taking something from that that those numbers in no way indicate or mean. Uh, and usually you'll find that the world is actually, you know, getting better. And... Uh, you know, it's not it's not 
the end is not necessarily nigh. It doesn't gloss over the things that are still horrible. It just it it does a good job of pointing out mm. the the progress that is being made. And it's just that that sort of stuff doesn't make the news, and big bombastic stuff does make the news. Um, and yeah, it's it's actually a really sort of just kind of therapeutic uh, reading experience. Oh, that sounds great. That's very nice. It is. I, I I have gone the other way, and I've gone very bombastic. Um, I have seen the latest outing from The Rock. <laughs> what um, is the latest it, outing from The Rock? His latest film, a skyscraper. Skyscraper. Uh, presumably, something happens to this skyscraper. It catches fire. Okay. Um, it's somewhere a mix between the Towering Inferno, <laughs> yeah, Die Hard, and Enter the Dragon. <laughs> okay. I mean. I now really want to see this film. <laughs> um, it's it's a strange film. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm a big fan of The Rock. I think he's a very, I wouldn't say a good actor, but I think, I think he's, he's a very good, good comic actor as well. And I think he's a very good action star. Yeah. Um, in um, this film isn't his best work, I think, in terms of that, but it does. See he's playing an amputee, um, and he's received plaudits for his handling of that. Um, it's just a big, good, fun movie. You know, it, it's we saw it in IMAX, and it's worth seeing in IMAX just for the scale of it. Right. Um, it stars Nev Campbell as his wife, um, and I always like seeing her getting work after her days in the Scream fr- trilogies and franchise now. Um, it's yeah, it, it's the Rock doing Rock things, jumping off stuff, punching people, you know, leaping over things. Yeah, it's it's everything you think it's going to be, and it's exactly that. It's a pure old school sort of like late eighties, early nineties bombastic action movie scenario. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was good fun, um, but yeah, it, it's not going to set anyone's world alight. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was uh, exactly what it is. So yeah, like I'm tempted. Skyscraper. Like I'm temp- I'm genuinely tempted. I would say when it pops up on Netflix, it is well worth taking an evening to. I wouldn't recommend going to see it at the cinema unless you're a, 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 you know, really at a loose end. nothing else on. Yes, yes. Um, so from the bombastic to maybe the, the more sublime, uh, we are continuing our Wes Anderson month. And Chris is taking me through some of Wes Anderson's films and trying to convince me to be a little more open-minded to his his work, shall we say. This week, we are looking at The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Supposedly, Cousteau and his cronies invented the idea of putting walkie-talkies into the helmet. But we made ours with a special rabbit ear on the top so we could pipe in some music. The Belafonte, home to Team Sisu. Scaled crew of deep sea divers, adventurers, documentary filmmakers. Action! Essentially the tale of a oceanographer, a ocean documentarian, um, who loses his best friend in a jaguar shark attack. It is the tale of him recruiting a crew or collecting his crew and going on the hunt to find this shark. But it quickly morphs into a strange family drama about friendship and fatherhood and relationships and what it means to be a man and means to be a father. Um, and everything that pertains with a sort of a performance centred by Bill Murray about as Steve is himself and great support or throughout from a lot of uh, Anderson regulars, people like... Um, Excuse me, Owen Wilson, Angela Houston, William Defoe, Jeff Goldblum, um, Michael Gambon. It's it's a it's a thoroughly strong cast throughout. 
And really past this point in Wes Anderson's work in general, he's got that sort of pantheon of stars who are pretty much like seem happy to be at his disposal. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 an ongoing thing, sort of past this point uh, in his yeah, career. And I think in a way, in the way that I. I was a bit keener on Bottle Rocket last week because it didn't feel too Wes Anderson. I thought that would quotes. be your opinion. Um, this this feels, for better or worse, this feels far more peak Anderson. So uh, for clarification's much- sake, this was the first Wes Anderson film I saw and this is what made me go and seek out his previous work uh, and watch pretty much everything he brought to the table yeah. afterwards. Uh, uh, though... Those who haven't seen it, I don't know where to the show if you haven't seen it. Essentially, a lot of his style is quite formal, I would say, in his style. Um, it's quite presentational in the people you know, kind of. You don't often know that you're watching a movie. Sometimes it's presented to you as a movie. There's interstitials. Um, and the, the blocking is the- very much like a play. Uh, yes. Like everything's very square on. Like the sets are like, yeah, clearly designed for this. These very symmetrical dialogues, and I know, like, especially in this film, when you see a big group of people uh, on screen at the same time, uh, you know, it has that sort of. I know you just don't see it in films very much outside of like something like Greece, where mm. they're all just sort of. Uh, it almost looks like a, a a a photo of a sports team or whatever, where they're they're all clearly visible and all at different like points on the screen, just so everyone's clearly in view there's not yeah it's i mean not very naturalistic it's uh we often talk on this show of because of we, we do and my films custom we we, we we presume just for the sake of our show that everything in the movie is intentional so the cast and the acting all of that is intentional yes um and that helps us talk about films whereas with this i think it may be the first film we've really watched where that's entirely true oh for sure I was, like i was at every, every framing every movement every Every reaction, every eyebrow raised from the cast feels like it's an intentional movement towards the theme of the movie. Absolutely, and I think, uh, like, e- even da- as you say, like every every tiny thing just feels. I don't know it feels like that person, and like I, I guess it's just a product of like a, like good casting in general. But uh, every person seems very on board with the the entire vibe like Mm. it's not that people aren't bringing their own sort of thing to the table like jeff goldblum is still jeff goldblum as you like but the the casting seems like it's it's either like parts are written for these specific people and if you couldn't get them that character would be completely a completely different part or that those people are very much on board to to uh like portray exactly uh exactly on screen what Wes Anderson wants um and like I, I know I think it's all the better for it uh it's a big con- contribution to his like to the development of his ve- very specific style um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think it's why you see the same people crop up uh over and over again in Wes Anderson films is that I yeah. think there's a sort of a collaborative effort from the ground up rather than Here's the film I'm like. Here's the script. This is the film it's going to be. This is what all the characters are. Let's go and find some people to play these characters. If you see what I mean, I, I do. I think and there's a, there's a sort of a symbiosis between the 
actors and the director here, you know, there's a reason why he's latched onto some of this cast, people he's stuck with, because they do have that restrained style that he likes. I mean, Bill Murray, who's obviously the cast, the main cast here. If you do look at his kind of latter work, it's all this kind of quiet restraint, even things like Broken Flowers and Lost in Translation, yeah. which are not comedies in that respect. It's a very quiet, restrained role. And here he plays a comedy, but there's a, a good matching of characterism there. You know, there's a reason why, you know, Jason Schwartzman pops up because he's that very similar kind of um, yes. sort of style. But also um, like that, I, I think they, they, they tend to be like, not without exception, uh, but like certainly the major parts uh, played by people who are very, like seem very good at leaning into that like they're quite emotional they're trying to be emotionally detached Mm. and i think that makes moments in these films when uh like it does get emotional like stand out uh even if they're played in quite an understated way like even just someone's eyes sort of blaring up like it seems so out of context with the stuff that sort of led up to that moment because it's a bunch of people trying to make out that they are not emotionally invested in a situation Hmm. Right. Well, I think, I mean, if you want to look at, I mean, we can touch more on this, I think, next week when we start talking about Grand Beauty Bust Hotel, but there is an element to Wes Anderson's work that's kind of looking at at some of the cracks beneath the veneer. Um, you know, the, what happens when the facade people portray starts to come unwound. Um, and we had it last week um, with some of the bottle horror characters, you know, they had this, you know, um, fast-talking role and kind of, what happens when that comes up against the real world? And here you've got these, you know, Steve Zizou is a certain character. Even in the world of the movie, he's a certain character. Um, he's Absolutely. a sort of deadpan. And the introduction of his son, Ned, um, and his relationship with Jane, and the sort of the implosion of his world and loss of his friends, like, it's about the impact of that on restrained characters and how you handle that. Yeah, um, and also, like... Absolutely, that breaking video, I think, is very much, uh, I, you raised it briefly earlier, like, very much the core of this film. Um, because like, I think it's largely summed up uh, by, uh, th- there's a line which is just, uh, like, it's something along the lines of, uh, I hated my father, I never wanted to become one. And, mm. uh, like, that's that's kind of the arc of the film, like, the catalyst for, like, it changing from basically a revenge story against a shark to uh yeah this sort of breakdown and uh exploration of fatherhood uh comes from that one catalyst that uh you know is is what sort of starts to chip at the veneer and mm. yeah i think that's I, I i very much think that's the the core theme of uh, particularly this film like he like it, it happens a lot he, he he likes that sort of uh, across most of his work the this uh, i am this and this is what i am meant to be so in this mm. it's like uh, i am this documentary filmmaker and that is that is what i'm meant to be and like this all has to be about making the film and avenging my friend and yeah in uh, others are like in sort of moonrise kingdom it's like it's very much just like you know I'm a man, she is a woman, I want to, like, this is what a man is meant to be, and, like, so it's all framed in sort of, like, scouts, that's what a man is meant to be, and, like, it's all mm. about this facade and seeing that that's exactly what it is. 
I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, there's also this. I mean, the other thing I sort of really felt during this was this sort of sense of family, and the idea of the family that we build is different to the family that we have. Um, I mean, it was a, sort of a clear theme in Bottle Rocket of of these three friends who became a family from their own families, and sort of the Zizu crew, who are yeah. a disparate group of stragglers and sort of scientists and documentarians and um, topless script supervisors and how that that forms a family in itself yeah and like some of these parts are scarcely speaking roles they'll have like two lines in the film but you I don't know I think he does a really good job of like you you feel like you know who that person was and that person was Mm. like even though there's really only like one speaking scene for sort of each one outside of the, the the core like uh expositional to the story cast like so like Anne Marie is like you know they're uh like she she's she heads up the interns and she's the script writer for the documentary and she just doesn't put a top on for the whole film like she's just there just doing her work like you know it's not it's not like sexualized particularly it's just mm. that's just that's just it and you've got the sound guy is one of my favorite characters Right, he's just this Aussie guy. He's just you know he's normally just in the studio uh, editing stuff. But there's a bit which makes me laugh every single time. They've got these dolphins that follow alongside their ship with cameras on their head, and uh, he asks him to get one of the dolphins to swim under the hull to check something out. And uh, he taps a thing away on Morse code, like watching these screens, and then just seconds later goes, "Nah, I mean, it like." they either can't hear us or they they don't understand <laughs> it's just like and they've had these dolphins with them forever but like i just get like i don't know it's like you you get from that i i just think the demands that are put on this man that are just absurd and he just mm. is he just he just lives his life going yeah sorry couldn't get him to do it this time you try again next time and like it does it does feel the film embraces kind of the absurd in many ways oh absolutely um, and, and we haven't mentioned this briefly, but all the animals who you see in the movie are um, stop, an- stop animation. Yes, which, uh, um, again, is another thing that becomes particularly relevant to Wes Anderson's career going forward from here. Yes. Uh, like, but uh, in this, it just creates a nice... Because a lot of it is about the sort of childlike wonder that mm. both uh, Steve uh, and Ned felt towards that sort of... that. Like to the, towards the natural world and the undersea world, and like keeping it such that basically every sea creature you see in the film is this claymation, uh, like stop motion situation. Like I don't know it, 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 it's a nice aesthetic. I think it's very whimsical, and it kind of given this film essentially is an exploration of an absentee father and his refusal to accept the world, be it being a dad, being it lost his friend, be it his slightly less than exorbitant career compared to his friends. Like that that is quite a heavy tome of, of stories, quite heavy things to deal with. Um but the whimsy of it kind of keeps it light and it kind of somehow sneaks in this kind of heartfelt story. Yeah, I mean um, towards really- the end and I don't want to sort of uh like, you know, chuck out chuck out the ending of the film, but like you know, it get it gets heavy, mm. um, and I think those that part and that section of the film lands significantly harder 
after you've basically been laughing at something for yes an hour and a half, and then it's just like oh oh god. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I don't know if Chris has listened to our episode about Lone Ranger that we watched probably over a year ago now. Uh, I, um, I vaguely remember your episode about Lone Ranger. It, it, it's a terrible, terrible film. And yeah. one of the things that makes it terrible is the weird mixing of humour and comedy. There's a whole scene in which a um, a group of Native Americans are brutally massacred by a Gatling gun. Um, and the sequence ends with a comedy routine of a horse stuck up a tree with Johnny Depp. And it just... it's. It, it's incredibly strange, um, and it just felt they could never merge those two themes. Whereas this, as you say, it doesn't feel like a misstep to suddenly swerve into heartfelt realism. Yeah, um, I mean, it feels, if, if like, anything, like, it feels like something shattering. It feels like yes. the illusion that you've been seeing up till this point, and and like we see the cracks in it, and they don't. They very much don't see the cracks in it until it's later on, with the exception of Ned. Ned's sort of the 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 portal through the two like mm. he's he sort of sees the spectrum of it um but he's just very calm and accepting of it um but everybody else doesn't seem to see the absurdity certainly at the start of the life they lead um and the th- the things they basically ignore to lead that life and I, I, yeah mm. I, I think it's a I think it's a very powerful moment when that finally uh falls apart and it's very underplayed as well like it doesn't have to be it's not like a big bombastic uh like like surprise that came out of nowhere it's been sort of heavily pointed at the whole way through Mm. and when it happens it just happens and it feels inevitable and kind of darker for that um because you've seen it coming yeah i think there's interesting also interesting theme of of the idea of of an edited worldview because this film does play with expectations on what's real and what's a film within a film. Cause the opening section is kind of, it's a film within a film. We're seeing his films that he makes yes. about Jaguar shock. And so we are already presented with a edited reality. Like we know that some of the, what we're seeing is filmed and edited. We're shown the editing bay and we're talking about how they can edit at sea. And, you know, so that we, we, we all accept that in this world, we're going to be seeing edited stories yes a, a facade and, and there's sort of nice layers to that because there's his films and there's like so the type the well there's three times his films but the two prominent times you see his films uh are at some sort of like festival or um like a screening like a premiere um mm. and like there's a cute there's q and a's and things like that so there's the that next level of then him presenting himself and then has how he presents himself to his crew, and then there's him, and so it's like it's this, it's this like this these layers and layers of uh, yeah, as you say, e- editing your world and editing who you are. Like it's, it's mm. sort of censorship one way and editing of the world the other way, and it's it's yeah, it's I, I think it's a, a very carefully, uh, like a very deliberate. Uh, move in that sense yes i, I think i think, as I said, I think like, everything in this film feels thought through everything feels I mean, contrived but not in a bad way it feels like the whole world's been carefully constructed it, it, it's like you know the house of cards like every single thing that's laying down in this film it builds towards its end and even if you think they're jokes even that they're silly they are building towards this emotional catharsis at the end and it is 
very well plotted. Now, as I said, you may not get well with the style. You may not enjoy the kind of formalistic, very uptight style, um, very tightly, tightly wound style. But it is it is well made filmmaking. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's a like at the end of the day, like there's 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 those levels, right? There's 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 mm. the things you like and you can appreciate are good, and then there's things you can appreciate are good. And you just may not like it's like you can look at it and go like it's it's not incompetent it's not yeah it's it it like it I, I it's just not for me yeah, I think it would be hard to look at uh, this film from his repertoire particularly uh, I I think it's hard to look at it and go like find any of it particularly uh ill ill thought through or clumsy yes. or uh like tonally like not unacceptable that's not what i mean yeah. but yeah. yeah i mean i i had a discussion with my wife last night about these movies um and i i kind of do fall into that camp a little bit with these films because there are film directors out there who i think are bad directors yeah um i would probably say tim burton i'd put in that box especially with his later work i was gonna say i, I don't think, think he used to be no no he, he had early promise and then appears to have dissolved into nothing very special um and I think he can be a bad film director. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Especially whereas, when he's working with other people's material as well. Yes. And it's just like, what um, are you doing? <laughs> whereas having seen a couple of West End films now, um, I don't think that's the case. No, but, you know, if you asked me three weeks ago, I would have said, I, don't, I think he's a bad director. I don't like him. Um, and actually sitting down and watching them, especially with Bottle Rocket last week, I'm seeing, seeing the strings and seeing the construction he's making these films. And it's a style that I think still keeps me at arm's length. But I can wholeheartedly see the skill in it and see the the masterclass in what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to bring up about this film uh, is the music. I really, really, really love the soundtrack to this film. Uh, it is, for the most part, David Bowie songs or David Bowie songs covered in, in Portuguese. Um, mm. Mm. Uh, but I, I know, I think... And it might like uh, there's a the large testament to the to the breadth of uh of Bowie's work. Um but uh I, I know I think I think they just fit so well um and like tell us like tell a story in and of themselves and really like act as a an amazing support structure for what's going on. Mm. Um it's a very good fit, especially. I mean, I mean, it's especially the, the the Portuguese covers. I felt were very good. It's that kind of slightly familiar, slightly unfamiliar. World. But you also get this nice uh, dichotomy between. So when they're when they're at the start and they're at the premiere and they're having the party on the boat, uh, you get the David Bowie versions of these songs, and mm -hmm. like, and once they're at sea. You get this. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, it's either Sue George or Sue Jorge. He's, a, he's Brazilian. I I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, uh, you get those versions along with the music that they pipe into their helmets uh, when they're mm. underwater, which is just like this really sort of BP sort of like video game electro sort of stuff. And it's like when they get back and they're on shore again you start getting the real versions again. It's like, it's a really nice, I, I know it feels quite pleasantly isolated. And I think it's mm. very supportive of the theme that you, that when you're, when you're on the boat, 
you get this guy's versions of those songs, which are superb, by the way. Uh, we went to, I went to see him last uh, last year at the Albert Hall, and it was you know, just an incredible uh, incredible performance for one man with an acoustic guitar singing in a language you don't understand. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just I th- that really brought the film uh, to life for me, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's very does a very good job of emotionally supporting everything that's going on. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I'm not the musician that you are, certainly, um, but it certainly felt like it, it was perfect for the movie. Just didn't think we could leave it without talking about the music because I just, no. I just think it's awesome and and like such an integral part of the of the piece. I, I agree. I agree. So, do you have some recommendations or a recommendation for uh, something else to watch if you particularly enjoyed this movie? So, this one I found really, really difficult to think of anything that wasn't a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> That I could recognize, that I could recommend. That I go, you know, it's it shares enough with the Life Aquatic, <laughs> like to to say, oh yeah, that sounds good to you. Like maybe check this out. Uh, but I settled uh, in the end on uh, Little Miss Sunshine, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, for a, a lot of the reasons we've just discussed, uh, I think uh, does an incredible job of merging some really quite dark and upsetting ideas with a film that in no uncertain terms is just really fucking funny um mm. it's just it and yeah uh, again i i know stylistically you know it's not wes anderson-esque but like it's it, you know it's got that certain level of twee and that just sudden like drops into oh god wait no this is real life and Again, like absolutely stellar cast. You got uh, like Tony Collette, uh, Greg Kinnear, Alan Arkin. Uh, like it's uh, Steve Carell. Uh, it's it's just it's a great movie. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's it's the closest I could come tonally to I think the Life of Quad. I I can see that it, it it has been harder recommended sort of tonal films and theme based films during the Wes Anderson month. It's because just, he is such a director by himself. Yeah, like I was going, what genre are Wes Anderson films? And it is just, you know, whether you like him or not, it is difficult to classify mm. the genre as much other than Wes Anderson. I, I did the same. I, I struggled a little bit, but I did find one. And now I, I people who listen to the show uh, will know that I generally shy away from talking about my own films and the films that I've worked on. Um, it just feels weirdly kind of self-serving, so I don't do it. Um, but... I do want to recommend a film that I actually worked on, a film that I'm very proud of, um, and that's the 2010 film Submarine. It's a good movie. It is. Um, it's directed by Richard Oedi, who you may know as uh, Moss from the OT Crowd or the presenter of Travel Man. Um, he made this film about a young boy growing up in South Wales um, and the sort of tribulations that they go through. Um it sounds nothing like a lot of I'm well aware, but it does share an actor in Noah Tyler, but it also feels a lot like it. There's a sort of a texture to the movie that's slightly formal and slightly affected, um, but also it's the realisation of the harsh realities of life up against sort of a, a more childlike exploration of that. Um, it is much more of a um, sort of child-focused film, but it also isn't a kid's film. Um, so it's just very much in that kind of vibe of being slightly whimsical. Um, it plays with ideas of film texture. So he has different film cameras um, and you have the idea of editing and short films and that kind of the, the flow through it. 
Um, so yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's a very good British film of the last decade. Um, and yeah, it feels in a, it feels in the same sort of box in my head as this movie. Um, yeah, I can see that. Two, I can't point to many reasons why. Yeah, it just yeah, like it, that's exactly uh, the same as I felt with Little Miss Sunshine. It's like it's not similar, really, but I just feel like it is, and it's very yeah. hard to yeah. justify why. It's just it just feels like it is. Go and watch it. <laughs> and, and it's a film that I'm very proud of working on. So uh, right. I, I like to occasionally blow the trumpet. I'm very proud of you working on it as well. Rob. Thank you, Chris. There you go. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I thought you're fishing for compliments. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so guys that is our episode on uh, the life aquatic of steezer zoo we'll be back next week with our next was episode which is the grand budapest hotel um from 2014 till then guys you can find me on twitter at rob kaiju you can find our show at pretty podcast and you can find Chris where? Also on kaiju.fm, uh, on the Space Jam Continuum podcast. Uh, and on Twitter, we are at TSJ Community. Uh, and I'm also uh, over on uh, Merely Role Players podcast at the moment, uh, doing a bad Scottish accent and acting like a spy. Uh, and you can find that uh, over at Merely Role Play on Twitter. It's very funny, guys. Do check it out if you can. So, guys, we'll be back next week with next episode. Till then, if you like our show, if you like what we do here, we really do appreciate your support. Thank you for the comments and the likes and the shares. If you really, really like what we do here, uh, we do have a Patreon. That money helps us keep the lights on, helps us keep the wheels turning here at Code FM and on the Prestige and all the other shows that are part of that network. We've been putting up bonus episodes um, coming forwards for our shows. There's transcripts up there. There's going to be deals on merchandise and all that kind of stuff. Um, any money you've got, a couple of quid here and there would really help us kind of keep things going. And we'll see you guys next week.